Thank you to the choir. We are in Ezra chapter 4. Ezra chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. For those who have been with us throughout the series here in Ezra, so far it's been pretty smooth sailing, right? It's been smooth sailing for Israel. They have returned to the land. They actually got the command from Cyrus the king of Persia, the most powerful ruler in the world, to go back and start rebuilding. And they have this desire to go back and renew spiritually. Let's do it right this time. They begin, they build an altar to the Lord first thing, and they begin to offer sacrifices to the Lord and worship him. We even got the sort of the number of those who return, the names of the families of those who return. And then last week we looked at they even begin rebuilding the temple. They get the whole foundation of the temple laid. Wouldn't it be great if it just continued right from there, right? (laughs) Just keep going, keep building, everything's going to be great, but no opposition arises. And actually, opposition will begin arising here in chapter 4, verse 1, and it will continue to the end of the book of Ezra. And it will continue on until the time of Jesus and throughout 2,000 years of church history and to today, right? Because that is the Christian life. We will face opposition. But understand, the opposition doesn't mean that that God is sort of taken aback by this. Well, I wasn't expecting that. (laughs) I I thought everything was going to go smoothly with the rebuilding of the temple. And then, whoa, a, a, a monkey wrench gets thrown, a wrench gets thrown into it, whatever. No, God ultimately uses even this opposition ultimately to work out his plan and his purpose. Will my people be faithful even when there is opposition? Look with me at Ezra 4. We're just going to cover the first six verses of chapter 4. And then um, next week, Lord willing, we'll get into the letter to King Artaxerxes. But first, chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, opposition arises against the people of God back then. And of course, an application for today. Now, when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel and the heads of fathers' houses and said to them, Let us build with you, for we worship your God as you do, and we have been sacrificing to him ever since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the rest of the heads of fathers' houses in Israel said to them, You have nothing to do with us in building a house to our God, but we alone will build to the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. All the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. In the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. May God add his blessing to the reading, the study, the proclamation, and the application of his word. This morning, here's where we're going. Uh, Opposition arises against God's people. Verses 1 to 3, opposition will try to compromise God's people. Uh, 4 and 5, opposition will try to discourage God's people. And then verse 6, opposition will try to falsely accuse God's people. And again, this is what 
our enemy, Satan, does. He uses every angle possible to try to stop the work of the Lord. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Look at chapter uh, 4, verse 1. When the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin... So we're told right from the the get-go that these are adversaries. They are not on the side of Israel. They are not of goodwill. They're not really trying to help. They are adversaries. And specifically of Judah and Benjamin, why those two tribes, for those who have been following us, the northern ten tribes comprised the, the northern kingdom... That had fallen centuries earlier, 70, 722 B.C. The southern kingdom was only made up of Judah, Benjamin, and of course a bunch of Levites who have already begun the rebuilding here. So it's persecution or it's adversaries of Judah and Benjamin, that southern region. Well, they, when they finally hear that, hey, a, a whole foundation has been laid there in Jerusalem of the temple of the Lord, they come to Zerubbabel. And hopefully you're starting to get familiar with some of the names in the book of Ezra. You may have never heard of Zerubbabel before this series, but he's an important figure. He's the governor of the people. He's a godly man. He's from the line of David, and ultimately Jesus comes from the line of Zerubbabel. They approach him, the heads of the father's houses, and they say, let us build with you. Let's do this together. Let me help you build, because we worship your God as you do. And we've been sacrificing to the God of Israel for centuries, since we've come back through a previous king of Assyria, Esarhaddon, that since he brought us back, we've been doing this already. So now let us work together in this. Now, one thing you have to understand uh, is a little bit of the background here. As I mentioned, the northern kingdom of Israel was terrible, okay? <laughs> There's barely a good king. They were in horrible rebellion against God, and judgment came upon them, as I said, centuries earlier. Yes, Assyria did let some of them come back, but the ones who came back were extremely compromised. They were syncretists. They began to worship with all the other nations. So yes, they worshiped the Lord, you know, Yahweh, the God of Israel, but they also worshiped the gods of Babylon and the nations and so forth. They brought it all together. Yeah, we'll sacrifice to the Lord, but we'll also sacrifice to these other gods. It's a little bit lengthy, but I want to just read this. 2 Kings 17, 24 to 33 describes these people. And the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamat, and Sepharvaim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the people of Israel. So he brings them back, and he, they took possession of Samaria and lived in its cities. And at the beginning of their dwelling there, they did not fear the Lord. Therefore the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. So the king of Assyria was told, The nations that you have carried away and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the law of the God of the land, meaning the God of Israel. That's how his mind thinks. Therefore he sent lions among them, and behold, they are killing them, because they do not know the law of the God of, Israel, of the land. Then the king of Assyria commanded, Send there one of the priests whom you carried away from there, and let him go and dwell there, and teach them the law of the God of the land. So one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and lived in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. Seems good, right? But every nation still made gods of its own, and put them in the shrines of the high places, and the Samaritans had made, that Samaritans had made every nation in the cities in which they lived. The men of Babylon made Sukkot Benot, the men of Kuth made Nergal, the men of Hamat made Ashima, and the Avites made Nibhaz and Tartak, and the Savarvates burned their children in the fire to Adramelech and Anamelech, so child sacrifice, the gods of Sepharvaim. They also feared the Lord and appointed from among themselves all sorts of people as priests of the high places, who sacrificed for them in the shrines of the high places. So they feared the Lord, but also served their own gods, after the manner of the nations from among whom they had been carried away. 
When you come to the New Testament, this is the Samaritans. Remember when Jesus goes to the well in Samaria uh, uh, and talks to the Samaritan woman? That's who this is. And they are sort of compromised, syncretists. They've intermarried and intermingled with the nations, and their religion is just a mixture of all different things put together. So when they come to Israel and say, we worship the same God, we're all on the same side here, let us join with you, and let's build together. And you can imagine, this would be a real temptation for Israel, right? We could, I mean, they only have about 50,000 people. We could double, triple, who knows how many people, the number of folks who are working on the rebuilding. We could get this done a, a whole lot faster if we partner with these people of the land. Not only that, they have lots of resources, right? I'm sure they have, they have money, they have timber, they have gold. We could really make this temple far more beautiful, especially remember those old men who grieve at the sight of the new temple. We could make this thing special, just like in the days of Solomon. All we have to do is just let these people come in and help us out here. But instead, Zerubbabel and Jeshua, as we read there in chapter 4, and the heads of the father's houses say, you have no part with us. This is our duty. This is our responsibility. Again, if you think they're being a little too harsh here, remember, they're called adversaries right from the beginning. We're given that clue by the writer of Ezra. And the way they respond after they get the answer no, I think tells you all about their character, right? If somebody gets an answer no, and then they use deceptive means to try to persecute you, that shows their, their motives were never good to begin with from the start. But if they compromised and allowed the help of these nations there with them, they'd be back in the same place they started. I mean, why did God remove them from the land to begin with? Why did Babylon conquer them? Because they had failed to worship the Lord. And if they do the same thing now, and eventually compromise and become like the nations of the world, the whole project fails right from the get-go. The reason why this is so important, if you don't see the application for us here today, one way the enemy loves to work is by infiltrating and causing division and compromise and false teaching from within. Right? I mean, it would be so easy if all of the oppression and persecution that, that, in the, uh, that we face as Christians is always from the outside, but all the churches are pure and faithful and serving the Lord rightly, right? No, Satan is way too tricky for that. He wants to come into the church and compromise it from it within. How does he do that? Again, he brings in false teaching, compromise to the world. He brings in division, people who come in and are very divisive, want to divide up the church. I don't know if you've ever been part of a church split. Heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. There are no winners at the end of the day. Maybe God reuses, still uses the two different groups and they start new churches and, and so forth. Because God is a merciful and gracious God. But to see a church break up is absolutely heartbreaking. He comes from within to use hypocrisy. Someone who's not a genuine believer, doesn't really know the Lord Jesus and their hypocrisy becomes known, and eventually, let's say the church leader is caught in, in an affair or, or stealing money from the church, and it brings shame on the name of Jesus. Far more damage can be done from within. Far more important that the church is faithful. Small and faithful is better than large and unfaithful, right? Be faithful. You know, it's interesting to see what's happening in a lot of more liberal churches and mainline churches. And this is just the reality. They are they're closing the doors far quicker than evangelical churches and uh, ones that are more Bible-based. Why is that? 
Well, because if you're saying the same thing the world already is saying, <laughs> why do I need to go to church to hear that? <laughs> I can turn on the news. I can watch my evening sort of television shows, and they're all saying the same sort of compromised stuff that you're saying. Uh, be like the world, world sexual ethics, world's everything just all the same as everybody around you. All religions are the same. There's no different. I mean, after a while, you say, what's the purpose of me going to church and hearing that? I can just turn on cable news and hear that, right? Uh, when, the wor- when the church has a message that is different, that stands out, that calls people to repentance and faith, trust in God and putting him first, his priorities before our own and the authority of his word, then it stands out. Friends, I, I worry the same thing that we end up, may end up doing is if we compromise. And again, there's a temptation there too. You know, if you just sort of get involved with the interfaith kind of movement, you water things down, don't say Jesus is the only way, because that cannot be said, right? He can't be the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, you can't say there is no salvation uh, under heaven uh, given to man outside of Jesus Christ. You can't say those type of things, because, you know, that will offend others. Just sort of water it all down, and you'll get lots of resources, and you'll get lots of help, and you'll get, your church may even get bigger at first, and, and we'll be right back where we started. And the church loses its voice. And it loses its witness. Remember, friends, that we have an enemy. And he is persistent. And if he can destroy the church from within, he's very happy about that. But it isn't just that. Again, look what happens when these people are refused. Um, hell hath no fury. What's the saying? As a woman's scorned, hell hath no fury like a man's scorned too, or anyone's scorned, right? So they don't, wouldn't it be great if they just said, oh, no? Okay, we're just going to go back to our homes and we'll just go on with our lives. But it never happens that way, does it? Uh, they go back and they are upset. Verse 4, then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build. They're threatening them. They bribe counselors, so they're using deceptive means now to try to stop and frustrate their purpose. You know, pay off the, the local safety inspector. <laughs> you know, pay off the, the, the guy that's providing the mortar for the bricks. And, oh, uh, nope, sorry, we're going to triple our prices and, you know, cause whatever problems they can to slow down and stop the work of the Lord. And how long does this go on for? Look at verse 5. Not only all the days of Cyrus, the king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. They don't give up. They are persistent in their opposition, opposition to the work of the Lord. We even, and we'll get to this in verse 6 in just a bit, but the reign of Ahasuerus as well, they're writing letters. They are committed to try to stop the work of the Lord. And again, I wish I could say that God's people aren't affected by this. They just continue on. It doesn't make any difference to them, but it's not true. They are discouraged. They are afraid. And they are frustrated. And the work of the Lord begins to slow down. The enemy can't destroy the church from within. He will try to destroy it from the outside. Now this could be physical persecution, and we should never forget the fact that this is a reality for many Christians around the world. Uh, It's illegal to be a professing Christian. You cannot talk about it. You certainly cannot share your faith with other people in many parts of the world. You cannot congregate and gather legally. And if you do, you may be not only jailed, but physically attacked. And we don't get physically attacked too often here in the United States. And I don't know if any of you guys have been physically attacked. The only person I can think of is Teddy Hamill. 
Teddy Hamill took a punch for our church, literally took a punch for our church. Actually, he took a punch for me. Somebody said, started talking bad about the church, and they said something about Pastor Rick is going to get his own or something like that. And Teddy said, no, Pastor Rick is a good pastor. And wham, she got hit in the face by somebody. And uh, thank you for taking a punch for me, Teddy. I mean, I have to say, that was pretty impressive. But it isn't always physical. There's a lot to be lost from following Jesus. Sometimes it's verbal, psychological, being called names, being gaslit. That's a new term, right? Gaslighting. You know what that means? They, they try to make think you think you're the crazy one, right? So just like you, you, you put gas, innocuous gas in a room, and then you start to feel lightheaded. You're gaslighting Christians. You guys are the bigots because you have been teaching well, the same thing that Christians have been teaching for 2,000 years all over the world. But, you know, now you're the bigots because we have changed what we believe about certain things and you haven't caught up with it. So you guys are now the bad guys and the bigots and you're stuck in the past and you guys are angry and mean. And There's always opposition. And again, I'd be lying if I said we don't get discouraged. We don't get afraid. We don't get frustrated. Actually, I think this that discouragement right now may be at an all-time high. Maybe not all-time high, but a very high right now. Christians are discouraged. They're discouraged at the fact that, that, that churches are emptying out and closing. They're discouraged that they, they don't know how to reach the next generation. We talked about this last week. Providentially, by the way, I had a good conversation with a number of 20- and 30-year-olds this week. It just really happened to come together. They're discouraged because of COVID. COVID is, is sort of exasperated, acerbated our frustration, our discouragement. Pastors are quitting churches. There's no right answer, right? Talk to pastors. Why, why, did you, why did you leave your church? Because no matter what I did, I was wrong. <laughs> you, know, you followed COVID restrictions. You know what? You're a compromiser to the ways of this world, you're submitting to the government in its bad ways, or you're too easy on, on, on COVID, and people say you, you don't, you're not taking seriously people's lives. And a, a friend um, my age uh, said that evangelical Christians um, are, are basically giving up their elderly to death for their sake of their desire to meet together, as if that's our motive ultimately, is to make a political statement. You can't, you, there's no right answer, right? What do you believe about politics? Anything you say, you're going to alienate half your church, right? There's no right answer to it. People are discouraged. People are afraid. They're afraid because, again, the culture is moving so quickly against the Christian faith. What does that mean if you take a stand for Jesus? Will you lose friendships? Will you lose your job? Will you lose sort of advances in your job? People are afraid because of what's going on in this world. Afraid of World War III, right? What's going on in Ukraine? And, and not saying that's not even a, a real possibility. Things like that could, could definitely occur. Afraid of COVID or the next thing that follows it out. And people are frustrated. Frustrated with our leaders. Frustrated with our government. Frustrated with cable news, which is, I don't want to get into too much of this, but playing us for their own financial benefit. What do we do? We look to Jesus and trust in the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing, guys. You take it all. Put it all, stack up everything you want that's against us from the outside, right? You got 
the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? You take the Satan, you take all of his demonic forces, you put that all on one side. You take the world, and all that's op- in opposition to the Christian faith, and you just stack it all up. Not even 0.1% of what the Holy Spirit is able to do. It's not, it's not even a fair battle, right? But on our side is God, and God's work in our lives, and he will not only preserve us, but actually frustrates the opposition and ultimately use them for his greater purpose, right? Now, you guys know that I love uh, Tolkien, J.R.L. Tolkien. Um, His description of creation is through a song. And all of the Valar, who are like the angels, are singing this song until one angel, kind of representative of Satan, one Valar, I should say, decides to try to ruin the song of creation, and he inserts a, a note of discord, something that just doesn't sound like the rest of the notes, and it doesn't seem to fit in. So what does the God figure in Middle Earth do? He takes that and works it into the song to make the song all the more beautiful. God will take even evil and turn it for his greater good to demonstrate his mercy in love for his people. It magnifies him, friends, when we can say, in the midst of the greatest pain and opposition, you give and take away, you give and take away, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's what Job said. His wife said, curse God and get this over with, Job, and die. And Job says, shall we accept good from the Lord and not evil? He gives and he takes away. And blessed be the name of the Lord. Here's the truth, friends. In glory, there will be no more suffering. And there will be no more opposition. But right now, will you serve him in the face of opposition? Will you serve him in the face of trials and difficulties and hardship? You're never going to get a chance like that again for all eternity. But will you serve him well today? Verse 6, opposition will try to falsely accuse God's people. Look what he says in verse 6. And again, we'll get to the letters. Actually, the letters that he's referring to here are actually included in, in its entirety in the book of Ezra. But in the reign of Ahasuerus, that's the same as Artaxerxes, same as Xerxes. That's the, the king during the time of Esther, if you're familiar with the book of Esther. In the beginning of his reign, and I think that's fitting, because let's get to him right away. Right? We're going to bias the new king right away against the people in Israel and what they're rebuilding. As soon as he begins to reign, they write an accusation against him. Notice that. A lot of times it's in writing. Um, trying to bias them immediately against the inhabitants of Judah and Benjamin, uh, I'm sorry, Judah and Jerusalem. And uh, by the way, if you don't know what's in the letter, we'll talk more about it, but it's false accusation, right? They're going to accuse them falsely of certain things, ultimately of being a rebellious city who's trying to overthrow the rule of Persia over them. But notice that opposition will try to falsely accuse. Again, you'll see this all the time. You'll see it um, again in, in, in gossip and Slander, you'll see it in writing, oftentimes. You'll see it in a, a book against Christianity, talking about it. You'll see it in articles. You'll see it in emails. Now, of course, you see it in social media. 
uh, Church Answers, great sort of ministry that I follow. This is one of their latest posts, and I won't read all of it, but just uh, this is the title of it. Ten Suggestions for Church Members When They Read Negative Things About Their Pastors on Social Media. So this is an issue. This is happening, uh, uh, going on. So I, uh, some of you guys know this. I won't, I, I just, I've heard it all. All right, I've heard, I've, I've been accused of things myself. Um, I've, I've heard our church accused of different things. I've heard, of course, Christianity in general accused of different things. I mean, it's, 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 it's out there. I've heard it, it, it all. Uh, now, if it's true, that's different. The, bringing to light our sin is a good thing. So, um, as we've seen abuse, for example, in, in Rome, not only in Roman Catholicism, but in other Protestant churches, bring it to light. Bring it out for repentance. So, I'm not talking about ever hiding something that is genuinely a problem. I'm talking about false accusations that arise. Well, as some of you guys know this, that uh, probably about six, seven years ago, we had what, what I, I refer to as the, the email Unabomber, right, <laughs> for our church. The, uh, somebody sent out a, a set of, of um, anonymous, of course they're anonymous, right? It's always anonymous because there's the, just with a list of false accusations against our church. Now, I wish I could say I was able to just shrug that off and move forward. And my wife and I said, look, look how goofy this is, a bunch of false accusations. But I can't. It was discouraging. It was very discouraging for me and for my wife to think there was someone, probably part of our church, who was hateful and dishonest and trying to divide. We considered, is this where we're supposed to be? Should we move on? Should I even be a pastor? Those thoughts come to your mind. What do you do? Never, ever let the devil win. That's exactly what he wants you to do, right? Quit. If we can get them to stop building, he's won the day. See, I think actually the peoples of the lands here aren't really the enemy. I think they don't even know fully what they're doing. It's really Satan and his work behind the scenes seeking to discourage the rebuilding of the temple. Friends, we persevere. We continue on. Here's the reality. It already all happened to Jesus. Right? He was falsely accused. People deceived him. He was betrayed by one of his closest disciples. He was physically attacked. He was maligned. And he did it all for us. That's the gospel. Jesus was persecuted and in doing so took our place on the cross to redeem us and save us. And what does Jesus say? If it happened to me, it will happen to you. In fact, the Bible says, if anyone wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, he will be persecuted, right? So it will happen. You will face opposition, especially if you're here and you're a new believer. It's neat to see God doing some work here and bringing some new believers to us here. Uh, be ready for this, right? That's the, that's the best advice I could give you. Right? Don't, don't think it's not going to come. Uh, don't listen to sort of uh, some of these TV preachers who say, if you put your faith in Jesus, you're going to live a prosperous, healthy, fun, and exciting life, and there'll be no real opposition. Actually, Jesus says the exact opposite. Right now, you know, everyone has a hard time because it's, we live in a sinful, fallen world, but if you follow me, you get to pick up your cross and suffer even more, all right? So it only increases by following Jesus. Now, there's a joy in following Jesus that is beyond anything in this world, and of course, there's the hope of eternal life, but never, ever are we promised a suffering-free life or a life without opposition and attack. 
as they persecuted me, Jesus said, so they will persecute you. Opposition arises, and this is just the start of it. Opposition will do everything. It will try to compromise God's people. It will try to discourage God's people, and it will try to falsely accuse God's people. What do we do? Just keep building. It helps the fact, the fact helps that we know the end, right? I mean, we know how this turns out. Read the end of the book of Revelation. God wins, all right? In the end, imagine, and you guys going to watch the Super Bowl today. What if, what if you knew right now that uh, Philly's going to come out in the end and they're going to win, right? And then you're watching the game and the Chiefs are up and it's a close game and people are biting their nails and they're nervous, but you're sitting there saying, it doesn't really matter because I know at the end Philly comes out with the win, right? I mean, it could be that it's, it's 30 to, to 3, um, they're losing, but you know at the end of the game Philly's going to win. It's, it's not going to change anything, right? And I don't know if Philly's going to win, but I'm just saying if you did know that, it would change the way you view the game. When it comes to the Christian life, we know how it turns out. God's people end up in glory with him, rejoicing at a sovereign God who loves us and will keep us with him forever. What do we do? Just keep building. Somebody tries to compromise God's people. Somebody is a hypocrite in the church and challenges your faith. Somebody starts teaching something that's false teaching. Somebody's divisive. Just keep building. Just keep doing the work of the Lord that he calls you to do. Persecution comes from the outside. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your friends. Maybe it's your job. People start saying things, doing things, accusing you of things, maligning your character. And just keep building. You get falsely accused. You know it's a lie. And you know you can't defend yourself. You're not even going to get into the weeds about it. What do you do? Just doing the work of the Lord until finally he says, well done, good and faithful servant. It's time for you to come home. Would you pray with me? Well, our great and gracious Father, what a good and helpful reminder to us as Christians that opposition will arise. We might wish it were not so, but we are, we are warned for a reason. And, and, and many have already faced this many, many times in their lives. Anyone here who's walked with the Lord Jesus for any length of time knows this is part of the, this is part of the plan. Help us, Lord, to persevere. Help us to keep our eyes on Jesus. Help us to not fear or be discouraged or frustrated. But with hope, continue working for you and doing the work that you have for us. You are our fortress and our protector. And it's upon the firm foundation of Christ and the gospel that we take our stand. In Jesus' name, amen.